0: Thanks for checking out the weekly sermon from Church of the Resurrection. We pray that God will use this message to speak to you and help you grow in your faith journey. We'd like to invite you to join us next week at one of our services, whether in live worship online at coreorg live or in person at one of our locations in the Kansas City area. Church of the Resurrection is one church in multiple locations. To learn more about our service times and ministries, please visit cora.org. We hope you enjoy this message. As we continue in worship, I invite you to hear these words from scripture. Our first passage today comes from Psalm 99. Mighty King, lover of justice, you have established equity. You have executed justice and righteousness in Jacob. Extol the Lord our God, worship at his footstool. Holy is he. And in Isaiah we read, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who lived in a land of deep darkness, on them, light has shined. And in the gospel of Mark, we hear these words. Jesus came to Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. May God add a blessing to the reading hearing, and understanding of Scripture.
1: More than 3 billion people claim to follow Jesus. But aside from a few verses, how many actually know what He taught? In fact, much of what people think Jesus taught, He never said. Jesus' message is not only life-changing, but world-changing. Join us as we study words that change the world. The message of Jesus. It is so great to be back with you today. I had a wonderful time leading our people at resurrection for two weeks in the Holy Land, but there's no place like home. And I'm really glad to be back here today. And we're going to have a great time during this series of messages in which we're looking at the message of Jesus, the words that change the world. And I want to begin by inviting you. I hope you have pen and paper handy. And if you don't, why don't you go grab pen and paper? And I'd like for you to write down for me. This is just a little test. What was, if somebody asked you, what was the main message of Jesus? what would you say? What was the primary message of Jesus? The thing that he preached about more often than anything else, would you just write that down on a piece of paper? Or if you're with somebody else, turn to somebody else and tell them the answer to that. In our various locations, tell them, what was Jesus' primary message? All right, so I'd be curious to find out how many of you said love? I mean, even if you're home by yourself, would you raise your hand to just say love? Now, love is a really great thing that Jesus talks about. And you might say that this is a you know, the, the major theme uh, you know, when he talks about what is God looking for from us. So you might be right there, but you know, there's only 28 times in the gospels that Jesus mentions love, but there's 112 times that he mentions the kingdom of God. This is the primary theme of his preaching, the kingdom of God. Everything that he does in ministry is focused on the kingdom of God. His life, death, and resurrection all is captured by this phrase, the kingdom of God. So today we're going to try to understand the kingdom of God. This week, I was reading uh, reading somebody who's writing a bit more about the kingdom of God and said this, they were quoting Gordon Fee, who's a great New Testament scholar. And he says this, you cannot know anything about Jesus, anything, if you miss the kingdom of God. You are zero on Jesus if you don't understand this term. I'm sorry to say that that strongly, but this is the great failure of evangelical Christianity. You have had Jesus without the kingdom of God, and therefore you have literally done Jesus in. I wonder if you get the weight of that. Because for many people who consider themselves deeply committed Christians, they've never fully comprehended this idea that Jesus came preaching and teaching and living the kingdom of God. And that's what he calls us to do as well. And so this is his first and primary message. And this is what we want to find today is the word, the world-changing message of Jesus. All right, so as we think about that, I'd like to begin when we're trying to understand the kingdom of God, and even pastors, even preachers and biblical scholars, you know, they struggle. Like, what did Jesus actually mean by this? So we have to go back to the Hebrew Bible or the Old Testament to understand what Jesus had in mind. So we're gonna start there. And I wanna share with you a prayer, at least the beginning of a prayer, that every Jewish rabbi and most deeply committed Jewish people say on a regular basis. And the prayer I quoted in Hebrew, and my Hebrew is a little rusty, but here it goes. Baruch atah Adonai Eloheinu melech ha'olam. And what that says is, blessed are you, Lord, our God, King of the universe. I asked my, fan, my friend, Rabbi Art Nemitoff, who was with us in the Holy Land. I said, how many times do you pray that prayer every day? Again, usually it starts there and then there's something that comes after it. And he said about a hundred times a day, a hundred times a day. Can you imagine? I've challenged you to pray five times a day, a hundred times a day. These words are on his lips. Baruch I, I Elhenu, Melch, Ha'alom. Blessed are you, Lord, our God, King of the universe. So this idea of God being king of the universe is a pretty big idea, a ruler of the universe. And and as we think about that, I want to think, okay, God is the king of the universe. We don't have kings anymore, at least not in America, but you can picture the ruler, the ultimate ruler, the authority, the highest authority, king of the universe. And and I love that phrase, king of the universe, ruler of the universe. This week, I uh, I was looking at the latest photos from the James Webb Deep Space Telescope. Here's one of them right here. And, uh, and as you look at this, if you were to hold up a quarter at arm's length and look up into space, this is the amount of space that would cover your quarter, maybe even a little less than that. The telescope looked deep into space, about a billion light years away from us, and it saw things that we've never seen before, including this large spiral galaxy at the bottom of the picture. That's uh, kind of a twin or similar to our own Milky Way galaxy. And then every bit of light that you see in there is another galaxy. And let me just remind you that a galaxy, our galaxy, has over a hundred billion billion with a B, stars, a hundred billion stars. This galaxy we just saw, uh, her name is Leda. I don't remember the rest of it, but it's Leda was her name. Uh, she has at least a hundred billion stars like our sun. And who knows what else is captured inside of that? We've never seen it before. And yet God is ruler of the universe, even where this galaxy is. God knows everything that's happening within the galaxy is sustaining that galaxy, created that galaxy, calls every star by name, the scripture says. God is the ruler of the entire cosmos, 95 billion light years across. And God knows it all, rules over it all. I mean, this is God, the ruler of all things. And when I think about that, I'm reminded of Psalm 19.1. Heaven is declaring God's glory. The sky is proclaiming his handiwork. This is a bit of what's meant when we say God is king of the universe, the ruler of the universe. Now I want you to listen once more to Psalm 99.1. The psalmist writes, "'The Lord is king. Let the peoples tremble. He sits enthroned upon the cherubim. Let the earth quake. The Lord is great in Zion. He is exalted over all the peoples. Let them praise your great and awesome name. Holy is he, mighty king, lover of justice. You have established equity. You have executed justice and righteousness in Jacob.'" Any human rulers that exist are just a dim shadow or a reflection something like a land, an ant to us is what an earthly king is or an earthly ruler is to who God is, is king of the universe. And so all of those earthly rulers, the ancient kings and queens and emperors who ruled over, over Egypt and Assyria and the other great empires of the past and all of them who ruled over Judah and, and Israel to the north, uh, they were all a reflection. They were meant to be a reflection. They were meant to be doing God's handiwork because God rules over everything. Here on this planet, God has given authority to humans. And we find that from the very beginning of the scripture that God gives us authority. So, so we rule with God's, well, with God's willingness to give his authority over to us. And so when we think about this, the kingdom of God, we're thinking about the God who rules over everything that exists in the universe. All right, so when the prophets began thinking about, you know, God and God's kingdom, they also recognized that the world didn't look very much like the world should look if God is king, right? What they found was chaos. And the prophets lived in times where there was constant war. There were empires that were emerging and then, and then being taken back down and new empires that were coming up. And so the emperors, uh, I think about the Assyrians who were marching towards Israel and would ultimately destroy the Northern Kingdom of Israel or the Babylonians who would come and march on Judah and destroy it. And, and the prophets are writing during these times where they're seeing all of this pain and brokenness. They're seeing the injustice. And the, and the heartache and the, and the sorrow and the grief and, and all of the destruction around them. They're seeing these things. They're seeing what happens on a daily basis in the kinds of tragedies that we experience in life. They're seeing this and, and part of what they're recognizing is that humans bring about these kinds of things. And God has given us authority or dominion over the earth. Dominion means rule over the earth. We get to rule, and at least in our own little lives, we get to rule. And so God doesn't force everything to happen. You know, we often say, or some people say, God, everything happens for a reason as though God is making everything happen and wants this thing and that thing to happen. But really in the scriptures, we find God gave us dominion or rule. And so we can't blame God for not doing God's part when God gave us dominion as human beings. Instead, what we have to recognize is that to the degree that suffering comes from human beings, or suffering comes to us as human beings, it's almost always a result of our own actions or someone else's actions. Would bring about the pain we see. And so the psalmists began dreaming, or not the psalmist, but the prophets began dreaming about a day when God would restore everything. When God, the king of the universe, would make everything right. And, and we find this age described by scholars as the messianic age. And I want to share with you a few of the things that the prophets were longing for. So when you read the prophets, you find they, they promise, they, they foretell destruction is going to come when people walk out of God's safety, you know, safe grip, when, when people end up doing the wrong thing, destruction or pain or brokenness will come. But then they also promise the day is going to come where God will restore people. And they long for the day when God will bring on earth the kingdom that God rules over in heaven. So listen to this, these are, uh, these are words that are found in both Isaiah chapter two, verse four, and Micah chapter four, verse three. These are eighth century prophets writing in the 700s about the time when the Assyrian empire is about to destroy the Northern kingdom of Israel. And here's what they're longing for when they see that destruction coming. They long for the day when humans would beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. You've heard those words. They're captured in a sculpture right outside the United Nations gifted to the United Nations by the Russians because it captures what humans have believed for 2,800 years, what they would long for, that there would be a day when we'd no longer make war against one another. That's the messianic age. Isaiah 11, one through nine. I'd love for you to write that verse down, uh, those verses down, Isaiah 11, one through nine. And before I read them to you, I want to just show you, this is what's going on at the time when Isaiah is writing. So this is a map of the ancient Near East. Well, it's actually a, uh, a Google Earth map. But it shows you, this is of course the area of the Tigris and Euphrates coming through here, the rivers, modern day Iraq, uh, Iran over this way. So at this point, the Assyrian empire controls all of this and they're sweeping over as Isaiah's Isaiah's writing. They're sweeping over with their armies. They're coming and their plan is to destroy. They're going to destroy, they're going to crush these people in the north because the people here in Israel, the Northern kingdom of Israel, there's the Sea of Galilee. They're rebelling against the Assyrian authority. They're going to destroy them. They're going to take these people and who they don't kill, they're going to carry away and they're going to relocate them across the Assyrian empire. They're going to threaten Jerusalem and the Southern kingdom of Judah. This is what's happening at that time when they write these words. This is what what the uh, prophet Isaiah says. The spirit of the Lord shall rest on this king that one day will come who will make all things right. The spirit of the Lord shall rest on him, a spirit of wisdom and understanding, a spirit of counsel and might. This is the ideal king as as the prophet saw it the spirit of knowledge and fear of the Lord. He, he will delight, uh, his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what he sees or decide by what his ears hear, but with righteousness, he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And then he goes on to give this beautiful imagery. He says, the wolf, in that day, the wolf, when he becomes king, the wolf shall live with the lamb and the leopard shall lie down with the kid, the calf and the lion and the fatling together and a little child shall lead them and they will not hurt or destroy on all my holy mountain for the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. It was the eighth century prophets who were dreaming about a day when there's no more violence or war and when there's no more injustice and poverty. We come to Ezekiel writing 150 years later and he's writing as the Babylonians had conquered the people of Judah. They destroyed the temple in Jerusalem. They had had killed hundreds of thousands of people, carried many of them away into slavery, into Babylon. And Ezekiel is longing for a day when God would send a king, a king who would rule with righteousness and justice and equity. And he says this, and this is God speaking through Ezekiel. He says, in that day, I will set over my people, one shepherd, my conquered people, one shepherd, my servant, David, and he shall feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd. David had died several hundred years before. He's talking about the coming of a king who would rule like David and rule on behalf of God and would care for God's flock, would care for God's sheep in a way that the kings had not been doing in his day about that same time Ezekiel was writing, Jeremiah offered these words, a vision from God. He says this, the days are coming, surely, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. After those days, says the Lord, I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they shall be my people. No longer shall they teach one another or say to one another, know the Lord, For they shall all know me me, and the least of them to the greatest, says the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and remember their sin no more. Jeremiah is imagining a day when God has just forgiven everyone. He has filled them with his spirit. He's written his law on their hearts and all the nations shall know him. That's what he's longing for. And he says, there'll be a new covenant, not like the covenant with the 613 laws that God gave Moses, but instead there'll be a new covenant that God will make with his people. Do you remember Jesus sitting at the last supper? Do You remember what he says? This is my body broken for you. This is my blood of the new covenant for you. I just want you to see this. When Jesus comes preaching, the kingdom of God is at hand. He's drawing upon hundreds of years of longing for what the world should be like and could be like. So thinking about this, I'd simply ask you this question. What's your messianic vision? You say, I don't even know what you're talking about, Pastor Adam. Well, here's what I'd say. What what is, as you think about the world as it is and the world as it's supposed to be, what is the world supposed to be like? Where do you see the brokenness in your own life or the brokenness around us, the brokenness in the world, whether it's wars or violence or poverty or or injustice or racism or whatever it might be, where do you see it in people's own hurts and pain in their lives and and the hurt that we do to each other? And can you picture, do you ever long for a day when the world's not like that? I mean, I've been with so many people when they were suffering and they just dreamt of, they hoped for a day when there'd be no more suffering or sorrow or pain in their own lives. You know that feeling, you've had it before. And so we begin to yearn for a different kind of world and, and that's what the prophets were doing. I was reminded as I was thinking about this idea, because all of this is pointing us towards the kingdom of God. So I was thinking about this idea. I was reminded of a song. Actually, it was a, it was a commercial that came out in 1971. It was the most, uh, one, of the, one of the best commercials ever produced in terms of its impact on people's lives. And it was the kind of commercial where, where you didn't really know what they were selling at first. I mean, you kind of did, but you were so drawn into the jingle that went with it that you found yourself it just expressed something of this messianic desire, this desire for the kingdom of God. Maybe you remember this. I know younger people, you've never heard this song before. But in 1971, when it came out, hundreds of thousands of people began to call the radio stations and say, could you play that song from that commercial? Here it was. Take a look.
0: I'd like to buy the world a home and furnish it with love. Grow apple trees. to teach the world to sing, sing with me.
1: so interesting listening to that. The song captured this idea of people being bound together in unity, caring for one another, right? But the answer to that, you know, that yearning, that longing isn't going to be found in giving somebody a Coke. Although it's a nice idea to bless somebody, to do something kind for somebody else, right? But it's bigger than that. And the real thing isn't Coca-Cola. The real thing, Christians knew, was Jesus. That he came to offer us the kind of kingdom. He came to draw us into the kind of kingdom that we're all yearning for. And when he did that, he did that in a way that was different than anybody was expecting. They were expecting he'd raise up an army and he'd, he'd destroy the Romans. And suddenly, you know, the little Israel would be a, a very powerful little empire once more. But that wasn't his plan. No, his plan was to remind people that this yearning that they felt inside the world, the way it's supposed to be, could be that way, but it will only become that way as each of us says yes to that. I wanna follow that. I wanna follow you, Jesus. And I want to change. I want to be different than the person I've been. I want to change. And as I change, I want to live in a way that's different towards other people. And maybe in some small way together, we can see the kingdom of God in our own lives. The real thing isn't a Coca-Cola, but the real thing is something Jesus offers us and invites us to participate in. In the light of all that, here again, Mark 1, 14 through 15, Jesus came to Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God and saying, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. Jesus was the coming near of the kingdom of God. This yearning, this desire that the prophets had talked about, Jesus came, God in flesh, to help us see it can happen. It can happen. And I'm going to show you what it looks like. And then I want you to continue the work that I'm doing. So everything else that Jesus does and says in the rest of the gospels is a way of fulfilling this idea of the reign of God or the kingdom of God or the rule of God or the will of God coming to us. And we play a part in that. I remember speaking to a Jewish rabbi once and he said, uh, you know, he, was, he very much loved Jesus. And I said, so why aren't you a Christian? He said, because, because Jesus didn't fulfill the prophecies. And I said, what do you mean? He said, well, you know, the the wolf lying down with the lamb and and, and the messianic age and all of these things. He didn't do those things. And I said, isn't that what he came to do is to start that? Like he doesn't take a baton. God never does it this way where he takes a baton and magically makes everything all better. He works in us and we become his hands and his voice and his feet to help the world look like that. And we start with ourselves, right? That's how Jesus worked. He came to show us the way. He came to show us who God is. He came to show us what it means to be human. In his birth, the angels announced in Bethlehem that the Messiah, the Deliverer, the Savior, the Lord, which means King, had been born. And you remember, of course, at the very end of his life, they put a sign up over his head. Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews, and everything in between was just trying to show us what that King looks like and what it means to follow him and to be a part of his kingdom. In his very first sermon in in his town of Nazareth, his hometown of Nazareth, he quotes Isaiah the prophet. And and Isaiah, writing again in the eighth century, says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, Because the Lord has anointed me, he has sent me, listen, to preach good news to the poor, to proclaim release to the prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind, to liberate the oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And Jesus said, today the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. I came to be this person Isaiah was talking about, to offer good news and to invite people into this kingdom. Jesus tells a host of parables about the kingdom of God. By the way, when I think about that, that uh, rabbi who was talking to me about, well, Jesus didn't fulfill all of these things and you know, he didn't bring about the kingdom that, that the prophets had foretold. I'm reminded of what Jesus said about the kingdom of God in one of his parables. He said, the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. It's something really tiny, but it begins to grow. And as it begins to grow, it's bush, you know, as a bush, it grows larger and larger until finally the birds of the air can seek refuge in it. That's how the kingdom of God spreads. Jesus came, he was the mustard seed who came. He's the leaven in the loaf that begins to transform our lives as we begin to follow him and trust in him and seek to know and serve him. The Holy Spirit working inside of us, we become that leaven inside the loaf and it begins to spread everywhere. That's what happens. I think about this church. We started with four people in a dream of reaching non-religious and nominally religious people and helping them become deeply committed Christians and then sending those people out, inspiring them and seeing their lives change and then sending you, you, sending you out into the world to live your faith differently. And to change the world as a result, that's what Jesus was talking about in the parable of the mustard seed. The kingdom of God is like this. It starts small, but then you begin to see transformation in your own life and then you begin to transform other people's lives. And the the ripple effect is huge when we become a part of his kingdom. There were so many things that Jesus did incarnating this kingdom. Every time he saw somebody who was sick, he had to stop and help. He couldn't help himself. Jesus had to stop and he helped them. He could miraculously do that. He was the son of God, but he miraculously would touch people and they were instantly healed. Some of them were raised from the dead. But you know, every time one of you is a doctor or a nurse or some other kind of medical professional, cares for someone else, you're expanding the kingdom of God. You were a part of that kingdom by continuing what Jesus did while he was on this earth. Or every time you stop and you find somebody who's thirsty and you give them a cup, cup of water to drink or you find somebody who's hungry and you give them food or you find somebody who's, you know, who, who's in prison and you say, I'm gonna join the prison ministry and I'm gonna go visit people in prison. You know, when you show up there, even though you're nervous, the first time you show up and you start meeting people, you start caring for people and you, you treat them with dignity and you show humanity to them and somehow their life begins to change too. And, and some of them who had not been Christians before become followers of Jesus and their life is turned inside out. I mean, it's a small process, that that leaven working its way through the loaf. But suddenly we see God's kingdom coming. It's unfurling on earth as it is in heaven. So all of us, we play some part in that. This last week, we were talking in in Israel about mental health and the demon possessed and how Jesus drove out the demons, you know, people's lives, the addictions. Some of those demons were addictions. Some of those demons were mental health issues. Some of them were undoubtedly spiritual entities that were literally driven out. But so often Jesus found the people who were mentally ill and he showed compassion for them and he healed them. And every one of you who works in the field of mental health, as hard as that can be sometimes, every one of you who works in the field of recovery, you're expanding God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. Every single thing that you do to bless someone else, to care for someone else, to lift someone else up, to bring healing to someone else, you are living and expanding the kingdom of God. I want to remind you of something that I've shared with you many times. Um, But this diagram, of course, uh, from Ron Heifetz at the Kennedy School at uh, Harvard, He talks about the role of leaders, really the role of anyone is to have clear sight as to the world as it is. This is all the stuff that's messed up and broken and the stuff that makes us cry sometimes and we wish was different in our own lives and in the world around us. But then he says, Heifetz says, you know, the the task of the leader is not just to identify how the world is, but also how the world should be. And Jesus, this is what he's doing all the time when he preaches 112 times about the kingdom of God and and, and hundreds of other verses that support that is he's helping us see this is how the world is supposed to be. When he's showing us in the, in the miracles that he does and the ways that he you know, lifts people up and delivers them, all of that is about showing us this is the world as it's supposed to be. And God is not gonna wave a baton or a magic you know, wand and somehow make it all happen. Instead, he's gonna plant a seed in our hearts and in our minds, starting with Jesus, who came to do that. You remember, Jesus talks about the sower who scattered seed. He says, the kingdom of God is like this. It's a a farmer who scatters seed and that seed finds root in some hearts. In some some people's lives, the soil is hard and and, and it doesn't penetrate. And in some, it's it's shallow soil and it just starts to grow and then it dies off when things get harder. Sometimes the seed falls among the weeds and the weeds choke it out like the cares of this world and desire for wealth. But he said, sometimes the farmer finds just the perfect soil in a heart. And that seed begins to take root in the heart. And as it begins to grow, it produces a harvest, some 30, some 60, some 100 fold. You you see how this works with the kingdom of God? The kingdom of God, Jesus said at one time, is within you, or some say is among you. But but I like this idea of within you, that God's kingdom is here where your values are, where your heart is, where your allegiance is. Your primary allegiance is to God and, and to following Jesus, who is our King, and to living what he called us to live all those dreams of the prophets for hundreds of years, we're meant to be a part of bringing that about. We not only pray thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We wake up every day and say, here I am, Lord, use me today. Help me to see your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Are you catching the vision Jesus had for the kingdom of God? How revolutionary this is? How, if all of his followers might do that, just those first 12, and then there were 72, and then there were 3,000 on the day of Pentecost. But what happens if 3,000 people begin to live that way every day? Here I am, God, you're my king. I want to live for you. I want to do your will. I want to see your kingdom come on earth. Use me to do that. How's the world going to change when we live this way? Of course, that has to do with love and a whole host of other things like justice and kindness and mercy. This is what we're called to be and to do as Jesus' disciples. Let me just remind you, the last thing that Heifetz says is he says, uh, we not only articulate the world as it is, we help people see that, and we help people see the world as it's supposed to be, which Jesus called the kingdom of God. But then our task is to close the gap, right? Not just as a church, although as a church, this is something we've really taken seriously. We have said, this is one of our driving passions for the next 10 years and really forever, we wanna close the gaps between the world as it is and the world as it's supposed to be. So every time we take on a school partnership, every time we say, hey, let's, let's, let's take food to people who are in food deserts, or every time we provide beds for somebody or, or build you know, uh, wells in Malawi, or, or make sure people have light who didn't have light before and electricity. I mean, all of those kind of things. But also in our daily lives, when we see people who are in need of love and care and attention or, or the need to feel you know, dignity, when we do that, we are, we are expanding the kingdom of God. Hey, while I was in the Holy Land, uh, we were in Bethlehem, which is part of the West Bank territory, and uh, Palestinians who live there, and many, not many, it used to be a lot of the, of the people who lived in Bethlehem in particular were Christians. Today, it's a, it's a decreasing part of the population because the Christians have been forced to flee in many cases because it's just hard to live in Palestine. And, uh, and you know a bit about the conflict between Palestinians and Israelis and uh, so I, we sat down one night, I was done with the tour group and they were getting ready for bed. And, and so Rabbi Art Nemetoff, my good friend uh, who's here here in Kansas City, he was with us on the trip. And, and I said, hey, Art, I'd love to go meet up with my friend uh, Wasam Salsa, who is, uh, who is a Palestinian Christian. And he's opened a new restaurant and he's invited us to come over. You want to come with me? And we had this conversation with Sams. it was like 10 o'clock at night. And Wasam was there and his uh, I think his maybe 10-year-old son, 9-year-old son was there and, and, uh, and his wife Rashah. And as we were having this conversation, I just love this family. And, uh, and Rashah said, you know, what we want is not that hard. We just want dignity. We just want dignity. We just want to be treated like human beings. right? And their experience where they live is that they've not always been treated that way. Now, you know, the Israelis have a whole nother side of the story and they could say, all we want is safety or whatever. I mean, there's a complex, complicated issue. What I, what I believe is that we play a part in solving those kinds of things, that, that what we can do, whether it's in the West Bank and Bet-Sahor or Bethlehem, or it's here in the United States, is part of what we do is we bring dignity to people. Part of what we do is we say, you matter. Part of what we do is we show, again, compassion and mercy and kindness. I mean, all of this is about being a part of the kingdom of God. All right, so I wanna end with this. This message is world-changing. If we get it, Jesus is starting a movement and he's called us to be a part of his movement, to be a part of transforming the world. And it starts in our individual hearts, right? It's one human being at a time. Here at Church of the Resurrection, there are like 30,000 of you who are gonna be listening to the sermon this weekend. I just keep thinking in my mind, what happens if 30,000 of us take seriously that we wanna follow Jesus as our King, our primary allegiance, allegiance is to him. And we wake up every day and say, here I am suited up for you, Lord. What do you need me to do today? I mean, I've preached about this so many times. But this is the essential part of the Christian life. We've accepted Jesus as our Christ. The word Christ means king, anointed king. We've accepted him as our Messiah, our Christ, our Lord. Lord means boss, sovereign, ruler. And then we wake up every day and say, please change me and help me to be the person you want me to be. And then use me to help the world be the world you want the world to be. This is what he taught us to pray again when we pray thy kingdom come, thy will be done, not mine on earth as it is in heaven. So that leads me to this one last thing that Jesus says. He says, when he comes preaching his very first sermon in Mark, he says, uh, the kingdom of God is at hand. It's, it's, it's right, you know, it's, it's, it's here. It's, it's, it's on your doorstep. The kingdom of God is here. It's not something we're gonna wait for in the future. It's not something that we dream about only. It's here. And I came physically to embody that kingdom to you. That's what Jesus did. He says, the kingdom of God is here. Therefore, what? Therefore, repent, repent. Repent. The word repent in Hebrew, uh, teshuvah, is a word that means to return. It's a very powerful word. It signifies that somewhere I got off track. Somewhere in my thinking, in my heart, my feeling, in my actions, I got off track. And, and it's an invitation to come back to the right track. In the Greek, it's metanoia. And metanoia means to think differently afterwards. That's what it literally means. It usually signifies in the ancient Greek uh, or in the New Testament Greek period, it means to change your mind, to have a change of mind. But it means more than that. It means a change of mind. Like now I see how I have messed up or I see how I I misunderstood this or I got this wrong. I, I have a change of mind that leads to a change of heart. I feel badly about the places where I got it wrong that leads to a change of action, right? So Jesus says the kingdom of God is here so change. The kingdom of God is here. So repent. The kingdom of God is here. The season of Lent is a penitential season. It's a season in which Christians pause and they reflect. This is what we're supposed to do throughout the season. We pause and we say, uh, Lord, how have I got it wrong? Where, you know, we look inside and we say, in my thoughts and my actions and my personal relationships with other people and my values and the things that I do, the things that I fail to do that I should have done, where have I fallen away? in my spiritual life and to decide, Lord, I want to come back. I want to come home and to ask God to forgive us and to heal us and to put our feet on the right path once more as we seek to live into the kingdom of God. I want to ask you, how have you strayed? Where have you stumbled? Are there places where you aren't the Christian you used to be? Or maybe you're not a Christian right now at all, but are there places that you say, I need to come back? I need to be back on the right path places where you have gone astray. I have, you have, we all in our lives go astray at times. And during this season, we want to remember the kingdom of God is at hand. And I want to change Lord and be the person and the instrument that you want me to be in this world. All right. So as I call you to repentance on Jesus' behalf, I want to remind you in the early church, they said, uh, repent and be baptized. Now, most of us have been baptized, and, uh, and when we were in the Holy Land a week ago, I was there for a couple of weeks, uh, we, uh, we had a group of 188 people the first week, or 189 people, and we always go to the Jordan River, the area near where Jesus was likely baptized, and, uh, and we go about the process of inviting people to renew their baptisms. Now, I thought it was gonna be warmer, and as we got up that day, it was about 65 degrees, and it is, the water temperature was, I think, probably about the same, maybe a little cooler, and I thought, well, let's go ahead and do it. Let's go ahead and be baptized. And you can rent these little gowns. They're about 10 bucks and you get a towel with it, I think. And, and you have a chance to, to, uh, to put that over your clothing, uh, you know, shorts or swim trunks and a t-shirt and get in the water. And I just want to show you, this is our group gathering together, preparing for the special ser- service. And you see the Jordan River back behind. And on the other side of the Jordan River is the country Jordan, where people are coming to be baptized or remember their baptism from the other side. But this is Church of the Resurrection folks right here. And all the people in the white gowns were getting ready to get all the way in the water. And those who didn't want to do that would roll up their pant legs and take off their shoes and socks and step into the water. And we would pour water on their head or make the sign of the cross on their forehead so they could remember their baptism. You see what this was saying? What we wanted them to experience is once more, I repent and I need Jesus to wash me clean and make me new. And, and so we were doing this and it was, uh, it was really quite beautiful. And, and I'll show you, this is the next photo is, uh, is where we were set up. And we had three stations set up for people to come in and out of the water. And we had different pastors at each one of those stations. And, uh, and, and then we had different people coming forward. I want you to see this, uh, this couple in our congregation. This is Allison and Chris. And they want to do this together. And so I asked them the question, you know, do you wish to repent of your sins? Do you want to follow Jesus? Do you want to renew the vows made at your baptism? And as they said, yes, Pastor Ann and I then immersed them in the water, as you see in the next picture. And it was just beautiful. Uh, laid them down in the water, brought them back up and, and a sense of renewal, uh, of new life, a sense of, you know, I've recommitted my life to Christ. I mean, it was just absolutely beautiful. So while that was going on, I noticed out of the corner of my eye that there were a couple of men who were walking down the steps over to my right, and they, they were coming down, and I thought, okay, they're not a part of our group, I don't think, and, and uh, they began to make that, you know, they got into the water, they got, you know, you get in, it's about uh, hip deep as they started walking over to where I was, and we had a line of people waiting to be, you know, to renew their baptisms, and these guys just cut right in front of the line, you <laughs> know, it was kind of fun. I thought, okay, what's going on here? And they'd been watching, and the thing was, uh, they were, I'm assuming, from India. Uh, they didn't speak a lick of English. I tried to talk to them. They, they couldn't say anything in English and they tried to explain to me and I, I'm not sure whatever their local dialect or language was there. And, and, uh, but then they finally began to just give hand signals. They wanted to be baptized. They didn't have our $10 robes on that we bought with their swimsuits on underneath. They had all their clothes on. They, they just came right into the water, fully clothed. They, they watched what was happening and you could tell there was something. They were like, there was an urgency. I need to be baptized. I need to be baptized. We need to be baptized. Let's go in the water. Let's get in there fully clothed. Let's get in there. And and it was the coolest thing, you know? And and, and so I said, I, you know, I know you don't understand me, but do you wish to accept Christ as your savior and Lord? Do you wish to follow him? Do you wanna be a part of his kingdom? Do you repent of your sins? And and they kind of, okay, yeah. And, uh, and, and Pastor Ann and I, you know, laid one down into the water and brought him back up. And he gave me this big hug and, and laid the other one down in the water and he gave me a hug and and then off they went. And uh, here's a picture of it, actually. Somebody caught just the tail end of that as we'd finished with the second baptism. and And I thought, you know What does it take inside for you to look at what's going on and not even hear it in your own language but to look what's going on? They didn't have their own pastor who was there and to say, I need that. I wanna be a part of that. And I just wanna ask you, do you wanna be a part of that? Do you, during this Lenten season, this penitential season, do you say, I need Jesus, you, once more? I need your forgiveness and grace. I need to remember my baptism. If, if you've never been baptized, maybe it's time for you to be baptized. By the way, you can go to core.org slash next and you can find out how you can be baptized at Church of the Resurrection. We'd love for that to happen if you've never been baptized. And if you have been baptized, to be able to remember your baptism, we're gonna do that today. We're gonna remember our baptisms as a sign, an outward sign of saying, we repent, Lord. I repent of all the places where I've gone astray, or I've gone away from the path, and I wanna come back to you, and I wanna follow you, and I wanna be a part of your kingdom, and I offer myself to you, and I choose to follow you as my king and to accept you as my deliverer. That's what we're hoping to do today as we begin this season of Lent, as we remember Jesus' Jesus' message, the kingdom of God is at hand, therefore repent. So this is our invitation today. We're going to, in a moment, receive Holy Communion. And as we prepare to receive Holy Communion, this is one way of saying, Christ, I need you. When we take the bread in a moment and we dip it in the cup and we receive that, Christ, I need you. Forgive me, save me, deliver me. And then we're going to remember our baptisms. We're going to take a little water, place it on our forehead. And we're going to remember, I belong to Jesus. And we're going to remember that he washes us clean and makes us new. And we're going to sign up to be a part of his movement, coming back to his path and being used as his instruments to see his kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Let's pray. Lord, we long for that day when we find that the swords are beat into plowshares and the spears into pruning hooks, where the wolf will lie down with the lamb, where where light shall shine and permeate the world, where there's no more suffering or sorrow, sorrow or pain. We long for a day, O God, when the world looks like your kingdom that we've dreamt of. And we recognize that you call us to be a part of making that happen. We confess to you that we have failed and fallen short of your will in our lives. I'd like to invite you just in the quietness of wherever you are, I'd like to invite you to whisper to God, please forgive me for, and would you confess your sins to God right now in this moment? And then would you whisper to Jesus? Would you simply say this? Jesus, I want you to be my king. For you to save me, And deliver me, I offer my life to you. May your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen.
0: Thank you for watching this week's sermon. We'd love for you to join us again for live worship online or in person. To learn more about Church of the Resurrection, please visit core.org.